If you would, today take your Bibles. We're going to turn to Acts uh, chapter 20. We're going to finish chapter 20 today. We do have plans to restart Sunday school next Sunday. Some of your rooms are going to be spreading out, so we're going to be, be in different areas so we can actually spread out, making it, um, you know, so you can socially distance in the small group. But that one-on-one connection, we're, um, we're missing. Uh, many of us are missing, so. And I know many at home are missing. We pray for those at home, and I ask you to continue that. Send a letter. You can get the church directory. See Chris. She's at home even with her father today. See Chris Jeffrey, and she can get you names of shut-ins or those who are at home. And just write a letter of encouragement. Tell them how much you love them. I know our, our school, our academy, a lot of our children, they uh, drew some pictures and sent them to some of our senior adults. Did anybody receive a picture from our academy kids? You did, Richard? Y'all did? Okay, good. All right, well, they were, their goal was to just to minister to different church members, and uh, our teachers led them in that, so thankful for that. Well, let's look into today's message, Acts chapter 20. We're going to pick up where Brother Adrian and Brother Mike finished and, and backtrack just a little bit so we can see Paul's getting ready to leave. And I was, I was listening at home, Adrian was talking about the equipping of leaders, and as Mike was talking about it, as Paul's getting ready to leave, I'm like, well, that's where the rumors are starting, that I'm leaving the church because everybody's, these two guys are preaching messages about getting equipped because when Paul's about to leave, when the preacher's about to leave, somebody's got to take over. And, and I heard Mike say it, I heard Adrian say it, I heard Derek say it on Sunday night when he, when he talked for me on Sunday night, and I heard Christian say it, and each one of them said, the pastor always says, and if y'all know it, this corner over here has a bingo uh, game they play, I told you. Every time I say some of my, my, my sayings that I say, they keep score, and sometimes they score bingos over here. Um, so I didn't realize how much the, the influence that we, when we say something in you as well, if someone had to speak on your behalf, would they say, the pastor says this, or Clint says this, or whatever your name is, says this all the time, because it's something that hopefully we say about Christ. We're speaking on behalf of Christ when we speak, hopefully. And this message today is very much focused on, you see the title, Resist the Wolves, Save the Flock. But the undertitle is simply this, Readiness of the Shepherds and the Flock. This is leadership of, of the church. So we're going to look, dive into this together. Let's back up to verse, if we could, verse 17. And then we're going to, I won't spend much time there, but I want to just for, to get it in context. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And who are the elders of the church? These would be the pastors and the leadership of the church. The overseers of the church could be deacons there also, but these are the elders. These are the leaders, overseers of the church. He's called them together because he's getting ready to leave. He knows that he's finished his work. You know how long he's been with them? He's been with them for three years. That's the length of Jesus' ministry with his disciples. He'd been with them for three years. We're going to see the work that he did. He invested heavily in leadership. Now he's calling leadership to account, saying, listen, no longer is it just me going to take the, the back meetings, if you will. Not just me that's going to actually preach the word of God. Now it's your responsibility to train and equip the church of God. You go back and read the book of Ephesians. If you go have time, that's actually Paul writing a letter to the church at Ephesus. And he speaks to them and he tells them all these great things that we learn from uh, the, just our church today, how we have spiritual warfare going on. Paul talks about spiritual armor. He talks about love for one another. He talks about spiritual gifts in the book of uh, Ephesus, uh, Ephesians. He, he tells the church, get ready. And we can see that the church was ready. And we've got to be, there's a warning within the warning. Because the church at Ephesus, if we look at the book of Revelation, what does God say? You're doing a great job preaching the word. You're doing a great job 
standing against those who are sinners who are speaking against God, but you've left your first love. Can we get so busy and so deep into the Word of God that we study the Word of God, we know what the Word of God says, but we don't do what the Word of God says? We come and have church services, but we don't have a change experience. We don't have, it doesn't change us anymore. It's just what we do on Sunday morning at 1030. We've got to be there. We sing some songs. We pray some prayers. We listen to a preacher preach. We go to a Sunday school class, and then we go home, and we're good for the week. And then when Monday comes, we change, and it's Monday through Saturday. That's my time. And then on Sunday is God's time. We should not ever live like that, church. We should be Christians, and we should experience Christ daily and also let others see Jesus in us daily. So when Paul calls the leaders in, verse 18, and when they had come to him, he said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia and what matter I always lived among you. Sad note. Don't you think it's funny that Paul, remember just a few chapters back, he was wanting to go to Asia, and he couldn't get to Asia. The Holy Spirit said, you're not going to Asia right now. Paul said, I'm going to Asia. Twice the Holy Spirit says, you're not going to Asia now. You ever had a plan in your life that you want to do something for God? You had this great plan, Lord, if you give me the opportunity, I'm going, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to do this thing, or I'll be here at this concert, or I want to help in this evangelistic outreach. Lord, I, I'm going to do this. James tells us very clearly that we should say, if the Lord wills, I'll do this or that. I'll go here or there. So be careful, being zealous for the Lord, listen, that you actually have your love relationship in order first, right? You got to know Christ to worship Christ. Is that true? You have to have a personal love relationship with him. And then it's a daily grind because sometimes the world gets after us, sickness gets after us, and sometimes we just want to do a great thing. Everybody wants to do something great for God. Don't you, don't you want to accomplish something? Wendy and I had two conversations, and I, well, I had two conversations. We, she was involved in one, and both men told me that they were on a life's journey. Life's just a journey that we're on. And I said, I would agree life is a journey, but one man said, I want, you know, uh, God saved me for a reason when I was in a car wreck, and I don't know what the reason is. I still haven't found out. And he told me he was plus 70, or right at 70. Y'all, if you're 70 years old and you still don't know what God wants you to do in your life, it's getting late. Can y'all hear the knocking on the door? What does God want you to do? He wants you to bring him glory. That's exactly right. And whatever you do, he wants you to bring him glory. In your marriage, guess what he wants to do? Bring him glory. In your parenthood, bring him glory. In your grandparenthood, bring him glory. In your music, in cutting grass, what does he want you to do? Bring him glory. It's not always an easy task, but we come to the place that that's what we want to seek in our life. So Paul's called them together. Verse 19, serve the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. We know about that, right? Paul got beat up a lot. He's going to get beat up some more coming in the future. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God, and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now he's going to transition. And see, now I go bound to the spirit of, uh, to, in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. Does Paul have any idea what's going to happen to him in Jerusalem? He said, I don't know the specifics, but we're going to see in two verses that he says, the Holy Spirit's already told me I'm going to be in chains. So Paul already knows he's going to take a beating when he goes to Jerusalem. Did y'all know that? He doesn't know what kind of beating, he doesn't know what the situation is going to be, but the Spirit's already testified to him that he's going to actually suffer when he gets to Jerusalem. Let's keep reading. 
I need water and glasses now. Isn't it terrible? See, I go bound to Jerusalem and the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. How would you like that for a ministry? That's your responsibility. You're going to be chained up, put in handcuffs, and you're going to be beaten everywhere you go to preach the gospel. Anybody want to volunteer for that mission? Anybody want to be a part of that? Would anybody like to have the rewards the Apostle Paul has in heaven? I would. We can't get the rewards in heaven until we actually pay the dues on earth. Did y'all know that? We send it ahead. We can't take it with us. When we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, what Paul does, and we, we know he did because he says he did, we see him changing cities, turning cities upside down. Verse 24, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, I, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. Who's the flock? Look around. This us, the church. This is the church members. These are Christians. This is written to Christians, by the way. If you're not a Christian today, it doesn't apply to you, except that you might be one of the wolves that comes cruising in. This is to the Christians. Verse 28, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his blood, his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember, for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That's us as Christians. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and those who are with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Now, I found that as that ends there, how ironic that they're not sad that the wolves are coming. Their biggest sadness comes from what? That the preacher's leaving. Uh, I, we should be more concerned about what's going to happen to the church of God than we are about our personal wants and desires. Would you agree? I want to see in the notes. I want you to go to the notes and see this. Paul served the Lord before the Ephesians in great humility. The Bible says humility and tears. It says tears multiple times when you come there. Paul had a tender heart, yet Paul was very stern. Can you be that today? Can you come to the place that you actually have humility in your heart, but yet be stern? Can you be meek? And by the way, meekness does not mean weakness. Did y'all know that? Because Jesus was very 
meek, but Jesus was not weak. He was God. He is God. Number two, I want you to see this in verse 20. Paul daily visited house to house teaching the scriptures. For three years, this man worked with his hands. He was a tent maker. He, he was actually, he was a blue collar worker. He actually worked. He had a PhD. He had a white collar pedigree. You're going to see in a couple weeks. But he had a blue collar job that, so he could preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He kept food on the table by work of his hands that he learned. And we learned that most Pharisees had to have a trade with their hands that they actually used. And he was a tent maker. He made these tents with the black wool of the black sheep that uh, most people believe his father uh, used that the army would use. He would actually weave these tents and make these tents. So Paul visited daily, house to house, teaching them the scriptures. We know in verse 21, Paul's message was one of repentance of sins and faith in Jesus alone. Today, our people actually come back and say, and listen, yes, there's Jesus Christ, but there's more. It's Jesus plus. We're going to even see next week when Paul comes into Jerusalem, it's going to come into the place that even James and all the, the, the administration there in the church of Jerusalem said, listen, Paul, there's a word on the street that you've teaching Jews who convert to Christianity that they don't have to follow the law anymore. These Jews in town are very upset with you because you say once you're saved, you don't have to follow the law. You don't have to circumcise your kids. You don't have to follow Moses' teaching at all. Now, let me ask you a question. What we've read so far, 20 chapters, have we read that Paul ever left the teachings of Moses? Remember, the New Testament hasn't been printed yet. He's actually creating the New Testament as God gives him word. So what would be the foundation documents, foundational documents that Paul would preach every time he got into a, a teaching situation in the synagogue? The first five books, depending to you, the Jews would recognize who, who wrote the first five books of the Bible. Moses. So was it true that Paul was leaving the teaching of Moses? If I say today, thou shalt not steal, would you say amen or oh me? Bunch of thieves in the room. Thank you, Richard. <laughs> amen. And we get down this and look at God's moral law. We go back and pull the law. We still have teachings of Moses. I still teach things. When I taught to the book of Revelation, I was teaching the things of Moses that Moses got from God. When we say, listen, thou should not commit adultery, guess who wrote that down? Who pinned that down? Moses wrote that down. Do we teach the teaching of Moses? They also come back and said, listen, we've heard that you preach to the Gentiles. We celebrate what you're doing with the Gentiles. We just told them, and you'll see, remember that list of things they said, Gentiles, hey, just convert to Christ, be baptized, don't eat things strangled with blood, sexually pure. They gave this list of things to do. They'll recap that again next week. But Paul came to the place and said, listen, you must be born again. He preached Jesus as the only way to heaven. And then he preached you must be baptized to be obedient to Christ, not to be saved. Salvation comes in faith in Jesus Christ alone. Then baptism is obedience. It's the obedience factor, if you will. Paul's message was one of repentance of sins and faith in Christ alone. Paul shared with the Ephesian elders that God had told him of his upcoming chains and tribulations. We read that in verse 22 and 23. Paul said, I know I'm going to be put in chains. I don't know what kind of chains. I don't know what the situation's going to be, but I know I'm going to be facing tribulations when I get into the next phase of my ministry. God had warned him. No, God had commanded him. That's what he was going to do. Paul's going to come in and give us his resume in just a, a next chapter. He's going to give us a list of who he is. And y'all, I don't know what everyone's background education is and what your background is, but you'd be hard-pressed to stand up against a man like Paul. His credentials were 
heavy weighted, heavily weighted. But he, he, he realized he was actually a persecutor of the church of God when he witnesses to the Jews. He said, listen, I am the worst of sinners because I persecuted, I persecuted the church of God. And even now, the things that I should do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I do. Oh, what wretched man I am. You ever find yourself in that situation? Lord, please keep me from these sins. I don't want to do this mess. Don't, don't let me think that. Don't let me do that. Don't let me lose my temper. And then a situation comes up, and guess what happens? You sin against God. But isn't it a beautiful thing that God gives us in his word? We're talking about love today. We've messed the word love all up. We, we, we love grandma, and we say we love pizza. We use the same word. The English language is not very beautiful in the word love, right? I love my wife. I love pizza. I love grandma. It's, it's, it's a differential love. It's a different kind of love for each. Paul came to a place that was saying very clearly, there's got to be love for, the church, for, for Jesus Christ in the church. Watch what he says in verse 24. Paul determined to remain steadfast. He was determined to finish his race. That is, he was going to preach Jesus until he died. Did he know if he's going to die in Jerusalem? Didn't know. Because Paul, is he a Jew? Yeah, so he fits right in Jerusalem. Was he a Pharisee? Yes, yeah, so he's a teacher of the Jews. Was he a Roman? Yes, we'll find out he was born to be a Roman citizen. Paul had the attributes. Listen, you can't get all the good stuff Paul had. You can't get all those credentials. It was, it was a God's timing and God's way in his life when he was young. He didn't become a Roman citizen for buying his citizenship. He became a Roman citizen, we found out, because he was born into his citizenship. That meant something in his day. That meant something in their day to be a Roman. There were certain benefits you had for being a Roman. And you could buy your Roman citizenship, or if you were fortunate enough, you were born into the Roman citizenship and you were protected by the laws, the laws of Rome. You'll see later, Paul's going gonna, gonna to invoke some of those laws when he gets arrested and beaten publicly, just like he did when he was arrested. We all saw him in the, the jailer. Mike, I think, was talking about that some time ago. The Philippian jailer, when he arrested him, he said, oh, I didn't know you were a Roman, Right? Uh, they, they, when they arrested uh, Paul, didn't know you were a Roman. Go ahead and leave. And Paul says, I'm not leaving until you come down here. And he basically made them publicly apologize to him. And uh, it's just a beautiful thing in Scripture. It was a funny thing. Here's what Paul did. Paul, verse 25, Paul spoke with clarity. You, you couldn't misunderstand Paul. Some people say, well, Paul didn't like women. Have y'all heard, if you ever studied anything about Paul, Paul didn't love women. Uh, some, some in the LGBT community said, well, Paul, he, he wanted to date men. That was his, that was his flesh on the side. Yo, how sick can you possibly be to assign those kind of crazy sins to Paul? Paul said he had a thorn in his flesh. He asked Christ three times to get rid of it. Most scholars believe it was blindness or, or limited sight. But we don't know for sure, and it doesn't really matter. It was something he wanted to be removed, and God said no. God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And what Paul had to do? Keep on keeping on. What are you dealing with today? Dealing with a hard boss? Dealing with a tough situation? Church, it might seem impossible where you are, and I don't know where you are, but can I just please tell you as your friend, as your pastor, as your brother in Christ, God's grace is sufficient for you. You can make it. There is hope. I know we're, we're talking about this pandemic is messing everybody up. Everybody's losing hope. Everybody's getting depressed. People are staying at home. We need human touch, but God's grace is sufficient. 
Keep going back to his word. Lord, you said in your word, pray the word back to God. Say, God, listen, I want you to know I trust you, but it's getting harder and harder and harder to trust you when the bills pile up or when health issues pile up or when my kids are running crazy, when the grandkids are out wild. Lord, it's getting harder and harder. Church, say it with me. His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. Say it with me, church, out loud. His grace is sufficient. No matter what you're facing, his grace is sufficient. Paul spoke with clarity. He had discharged the duties of his ministry and had preached the kingdom of God to the church at Ephesus. He told them clearly, listen, the kingdom of God is at hand like when Jesus was here. Every time you talk about the kingdom of God, what's the root word of kingdom? King. So who did he talk about? Always about the kingdom or always about the king? Always about the king. And then the kingdom got thrown in. Heaven's awesome, I guess. I haven't been there yet. I've read about it. When you get to heaven, you're going to walk around like this going, wow, heaven's awesome. If that's all you want to look for, the street of gold, the main street, I can't wait to see the street of gold. You're wasting your time. Your priorities are out of whack. Would you agree? I'm going to beat a path to the king if I get a chance to, right? I want to see Jesus who saved me from my sins. I want to see the one actually who created me and the one who saved me, the one who redeemed me. That's where I want to beat a path to is to the king, not to the kingdom. The kingdom, obviously, when Jesus came was here on earth. Now, I love waterfalls, I love the mountains and the beaches and all the beautiful things that God's created, but I love the creator more than the creation. I want to focus on him, and I hope that you do as well. Paul preached the kingdom of God to the church at Ephesus. Look at your notes. I want you to see that this was very important. Paul preached the whole counsel of God. And I put an ad, added dimension, he fattened the flock. Now, I've watched a bunch of videos. This is really gross. Why do preachers do this? I don't know. And, but this way I learn. I actually envision everything that we're, as, as we walk through the scriptures, I, I'm walking, trying to walk right there with Paul because I like to hear things and actually imagine what it was like to walk the streets. Now, when he talks about these fattened sheep, right? What happens to a fat sheep if he's not careful, if he's not taken care of? I'm, I'm talking about a healthy sheep, not an overweight sheep. There are some sheep that were lost in the woods. Have y'all seen these different things on, on YouTube and Facebook? It's hilarious to see some of those sheep that were lost in the woods. They found them and have y'all seen them like bloated sheep? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about healthy sheep. And I also studied about wolves. We're going to see about wolves in just a moment. I found out wolves will come in and just kill like coyotes. They'll just come in and bite sheep in the neck. They'll, keep, they'll kill this sheep and they'll kill this sheep, kill this sheep, kill this sheep. South Carolina DNR actually has a whole page on about how the wolf and the coyote just kill uh, they kill much more than they can actually eat how about in the church today can you see it when the wolf's coming when paul talks about the wolf's coming somebody in the church might say something against the pastor or against your sunday school teacher or against well my church doesn't do this or it's not safe to go to the church or we should have a mask on i've heard that a thousand times in our school if you want to wear a mask listen you have no embarrassment here wear your mask wear a respirator i don't care Wear what you want. Separate yourself. You should take care of yourself. You know you. I know me. We come to the place that we take care of ourselves. There are people at home today that know they can't get out without being at risk. Their doctors have warned them, you're at high risk. We understand that. But I want us to understand we come in together as, a, as, a, as the flock of God. There's wolves that's going to pop their head in here. Little wolves, big wolves. But in leadership, they will come among the church. They're not interested in eating all the sheep. Maybe one or two they want to take out as the main target. 
But like the wolves in nature and like the coyotes in nature, they're going to go in and just bite necks. They're going to kill, 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 and leave a devastation among the flock. How many churches do you know that actually they kill each other at budget meetings? You ever been to those churches? I pray when God called me to minister, God, please don't let me go to a small white frame country church. I love, the, I love having pictures of white frame churches. I love the outside of the buildings. And I'll be honest with you when I said, Lord, if you put me as a, as a country preacher in a small white frame church like uh, that I remember as a kid, some of those churches, I'll end up having a prison ministry because I will kill somebody because I can't stand the backbiting that goes on. Jesus I loved when I was a kid. Church members I didn't. That's what kept me out of church for so long was actually members of churches, people that actually called on the name of Christ. When you have a budget meeting, you vote. We, we talk about new members. We'll have that today. We'll have a new members class open at 2.30 today. When somebody says we're going to vote on something, we do vote on our administrative meetings. It's yes or no. If it's an issue like budgets that have come up, we'll have meetings after meetings after meetings in the back. And when we come to the floor of the church, it's either yes or no. Simple majority wins. But if we see the churches split 51 to four, uh, 50 or 51, 49, we know something's up. There's something that we as leaders need to look at and say, this is a divided issue. We shouldn't move forward on that until we actually talk about it some more. We need to talk about this. Would you agree? But when it comes to the day in, day out of the budget, uh, we, we've had all kinds of different budgets offered. We've had all kinds of different things. The sound system, most of you were not here. We did this. It was a $250,000 sound system we put in. You couldn't hear anything. You clap your hands like this. We just keep clapping, 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 clapping. You couldn't hear anything in this room. How many were here for that? You remember how loud and echoey it was? They would say, Pastor, slow down. We can't hear you. And I was like, y'all have to speed up and, and listening. And then when I would sit out there, we'd have special preachers. I was like, I can't hear anything they're saying. And if you're not careful, some church members get the sweet spots. Y'all sit almost in the same area every Sunday. And back then, some people that, well, I won't call them wolves. I'll just call them they were peculiar people. If a guest come in, they would do this and let you scoot by because they could hear here, but you couldn't hear there. And so the guest always got to sit in places that were the echo chambers or the dead zone. So you could hear back here was a good space. Right here's a good space. Sword right here in the middle was a good space, but all these other spaces were just dead. You couldn't hear anything. It was really weird. But y'all, listen, we come to the place, Christ says very clearly, and Paul says, others first. Would you agree? That's the definition of joy we teach our children. Jesus first. J-O-Y. Jesus, others, then yourself. And that what the greatest commandment is, that you love God first? You love others as you love yourself. Do you think Paul preached something different than that? He did not. He preached love. He preached the whole counsel of God. He fattened the flock. So when the flock is good and healthy, and sheep are, y'all know this is not a downing from me to you because I'm a sheep as well. Sheep are dumb. You know, can study a little bit about sheep. They'll just continue. When the wolves attack, the sheep just keep, they keep running in circles. And the wolf just gets in the middle of them and bites them. And attacks them and attacks them and attacks them until the shepherd comes. Uh, I was reading of sheep in Europe. They said it's easier to let the wolf kill some of the sheep than actually pay the extra protection to protect the sheep. So they just count X amount of sheep that are going to be killed by the wolves and other animals. They just write it off. They said it's cheaper to write it off than it is to try to stop the wolf. Well, church at Town Creek Baptist Church and here in Ephesus, church at Ephesus, 
We're going to spend whatever it takes and do whatever it takes to stop the wolf. Amen? We want to keep the wolf out. And if you get around a wolf and you know what a wolf sounds like, would you, do you know what a wolf sounds like? It's not the horror. They're not going to do that in church, are they? What are they going to do? It usually starts with a crossed arm like this. Did you hear what they're going to do? Did you, can you see that crack in the parking lot? We need to spend money. Y'all, we got into a big fight about the parking lot of this church. Do we need to repave the parking lot? Yes, we do. Somebody write me a check for $60,000. We'll repave it this summer, okay? But what's more important, the parking lot or the children? The children. We're making disciples of Jesus Christ, so we had to put priorities first. Will we get to the parking lot? Yes, eventually we're going to have to. But we had to put priorities first. And what happens is when people actually left their church because they were mad about the parking lot, we didn't fill all the cracks in properly. There's been a bunch of cracks filled with rubber fill. Will Griffith brought his torch or probably stole your torch. Uh, the, I come up and burn all the fingers, uh, hair off my hands trying to, I've never run rubber and torch. Thought it'd be something simple. Asphalt patch. Well, guess who? Watch, I want to show you. Alex Smith is the only person, I, other person I know. Who is filled? Now, there's been other things happening. I'm going to talk about this in a minute. Who has filled a crack in this church? You saw a big old crack in the road or big pothole. Who has actually went to Lowe's or somewhere and gotten the material and filled a hole in the crack? Raise your hand if you have. Look around. Who, is this my parking lot? Is this my church? I wasn't called to fill the parking lot cracks, just for the record. But I do it, why? Because it's a necessity. Let me keep going. In the nursery, Hillary's constantly asking, hey, Pastor, we need somebody to watch the babies. Paul's going to get on to the elders. He said, I'm leaving, and you're going to take care of the church of God. You're going to take care of this place, places, people, because I'm leaving. I've been with you three years. Same thing for us today. If the pastor was to die, the pastor was absent, who takes over the church? Let's let the deacons do it. We're doing deacon elections. You saw that in your bulletin today. Well, the deacons can't bear the whole burden of doing the whole church as well. Well, just let Derek do it. Let the staff do it. That's what we pay them to do. That's not how it works. There's priorities. Our priorities are discipleship first, first and foremost. Equipping the church for the work of, what is it? My job is to equip the church for the work of the ministry. Who's changed these light bulbs? Look at these light bulbs that come out. And Greg, I don't want anybody to look up, but I saw one that was out. <laughs> if you've ever changed the light bulbs in the sanctuary, raise your hand. Raise your hand. I know where's Mitchell. I see three hands. Y'all, aren't you glad the lights are on when we come to church? I'm not getting up there. That's one thing. I'll, I will quit before I get up there, just so you know. I'll resign. I'll, turn my, I'll tenure my resignation if I have to change those lights because I don't like heights. Greg being, God bless him, skinny, I said, when I, years ago, I said, Greg, can you fix the outside lights? Every time I come up here at night, it's just dark. I, I'm sick of it being dark. We have this wrong, this wrong. He calls me, he says, Pastor, there's a brick wall. Remember that? Upstairs, we're fixing the outside light on the bridge. There's a brick wall. Like, where they built the church, they just built a wall. You can't, you can't get to the light from the outside. You got to get it from the inside. But I can't get over there because there's a solid brick wall. I said, do you have a sledgehammer? Right? And Greg just went and said, yeah, I got one. He, he, he burst a hole in the wall and uh, got to the light. And the light's fixed. been fixed ever since. 
Same thing in the nursery. Same thing in the music. I mean, some of you are trained, you're musicians, you actually were taught to sing or, or you played an instrument for public school or college. You, you were in the, the band or whatever it might be. You have a gift to give to the Lord. Church, I'm asking you, no, I'm begging you today. You need to look inside and say, Lord, what have I done for you in the last 365 days at the church? Have I actually done something physically? Not, well, my wife works in nursery, so I'm good. Or my husband ushers, so I'm good. Now, I'm not talking about your wife or your husband or anybody. I'm talking about you. Young people, same thing for you. There's things we can do. If we see trash on the floor, guess what we can do? It takes no effort to pick it up. If we see a bathroom that's filthy, listen, flush it, do something. We all can do something for the kingdom of God because there's nothing like going to a nice place and the bathrooms look like truck stops. Would you agree? QT has nicer bathrooms than some places I've been in that were supposed to be nicer than that. Yeah, no QT here in, in this upstate gas station. My kids love going to the QT. It's like an event to go to the QT. Church, I want to challenge you. You need to ask yourself and look, have you done anything for the kingdom of God in the last 365 days at Town Creek Baptist Church? Because your ministry starts here, and then it takes off and goes out there. I get phone calls, hey, Pastor, can we do this? I got a phone call this week, and I'll, I'll tell you, Adrian asked me, he said, hey, Pastor, do we have COVID packets? When someone gets COVID, do we have, like, something with vitamin C and things like that in it? What's the answer? We don't. And I said, let's, let's get that together. Somebody, surely somebody in the church has the heart of hospitality. We can't put medicines like aspirin and things like that in there, but we can put those things that are natural in there. And if you want to be a part of that, that's going to be coming up in the next couple of weeks. Help somebody assemble those packets. We have new members and gas bags that almost called you Cassidy. That's your bakery. Jeremiah, listen, Jeremiah and Megan constantly are serving the church behind the scenes. It, we're, you can watch my video if you're at home because somebody is taking the time to do technology. Those in the media team back there right now. Pop up, Trent. Let me see. Are you back there? There's a teenager, there's a young adult, and there's an old lady back there. Just kidding. That's Melissa. <laughs> Young people in the church serving us, and we, we, it's always flipping with it. If you want to learn how to run soundboard, we always need more, don't we, Orrin? There's always need more people. Church, what I'm trying to tell you is there's always something for everybody to do, and we must be the ones to do it. It's not going to get done and think somebody else is going to do it. You have to be a part of what call, Paul called the elders to do the work. Paul warned the elders, verse 29, let me finish quickly. He warned the elders that the enemy was coming to attack the church. He warned them the wolf would be among them and the church. And I put on it clearly, wolves eat sheep. Be careful. If you know there's a wolf, what should you do? Do your very best to convert the wolf. If the wolf won't convert, what do you do? Shoot the wolf. Get rid of the wolf. Call the wolf out. Sound the alarm. There's a wolf among us. The wolf has names in the church. Did Paul call names in the church? He'll say later to Timothy in 1 Timothy, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. Demetrius loved this world more than he loved the one to come. He calls names. He actually calls people out and says what the word of God says. Paul told how the wolves, those unfaithful foes from Satan, would speak perverted things and even draw disciples away to them. Is that happening today? I've heard of people who were deacons in Baptist churches saying, I'm going to go to the Jehovah Witness Kingdom Hall and I'm going to convert them and bring them to Christ. What do you do when you set out to do that? If God hasn't called you, if you're just so arrogant, you think without humility, you walk into a, to a fight, the wolves are going to get you. 
They're going to eat you, and you'll become one of them if you're not careful. Paul commanded the elders to, this is to the leadership, to watch and remember. He wanted them to stand firm under the banner of, and the grace of God. God is in the business of building and keeping his people, but he uses us. He uses his word. He uses circumstances. God uses all things for his glory. Last three, Paul challenged the elders with his model life. He worked for a living. He did not covet church member stuff. He supported the weak. And I told you a couple weeks ago when uh, Adrian Rogers, I was talking, uh, listening to his sermon. He's passed now, and, and he said he had a problem every time he went to a church member's house that was nicer than his house. He would say, but Lord, you blessed them with this, and you blessed them with that, and sort of nice stuff. And he, he coveted their stuff. And then he said, God gave him a heart of gratitude when he started, Lord, thank you for blessing our member with this, and thank you for giving this to our member, and thank you for blessing with this house, and for this car, whatever it might be. He learned to actually give thanks for all things, and then it helped him with his, what he said, I was tempted to covet. Maybe try that if you're coveting something of a brother or sister or aunt uncle or grandma or grandpa. Or a lot of times today in our culture, the children, and there's some who have said it, they want their parents to hurry up and die so they can have their house and all their stuff. It happens, and it's happening. Watch what happens when someone dies if there's not a, a love relationship in the family. Time that person dies, it's like a swarm of locusts come upon the last stick of green grass. People fight over that. I, that's mine. Grandma said I could have that. Grandpa said I could have that. You name it, it's happened. We, we referee a lot sometimes. People just fighting over stuff. Don't teach your children, your grandchildren, that stuff is that important. Stuff, we need stuff to live this life. But we need Christ to live this life in, in here and hereafter. Would you agree? Paul challenged the elders to model life. He worked for a living. Next, Paul quoted the good shepherd's way of life. He said it's better to give than to receive. And then there's not a direct quote. Most uh, commentaries you read say, well, Jesus never said that exactly. Well, he said it constantly throughout Scripture, and I gave you a couple of Scripture references for that. But John 3.16 is probably the most important one, right? Jesus himself said, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? Everlasting life. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life. That, so that gift, God is always a giving God. He's constantly giving to you and to me. He's constantly giving to the world. He gives us breath. He says the rain falls on the wicked and the righteous. Did that happen this week? Did it rain at your house? Did it rain at your wicked neighbor's house? Don't answer that. They might be watching. It rained on the wicked and the righteous. The, but the Bible was true this week when it rained. Everybody got rain, no matter if you were a Christian or non-Christian this week. Is that true in this area? We did. Finally, Paul and the elders prayed on the beach together. The elders were sorry Paul would not be returning. They walked him to the ship for his next kingdom adventure. God had Paul on a kingdom adventure. If you read chapter 21, it starts right away. He does the right thing, and then he suffers for doing the right thing. He preaches the right gospel, and he suffers for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you read it as just somebody who actually cares about people, you say, Lord, won't you give Paul a break? And did he give Paul a break? He actually did because Paul says, he's with me, never to leave me. He remembered what the Great Commission was. He remembered what his calling was, that he would suffer for the sake of Christ. He remembered that the Holy Spirit told me, I'm going to be in tribulation and chains. 
What does that look like? I don't know. Is it going to be leg irons this time? Am I going to be stuck to the wall? Am I going to sing praises in prison? I don't know what's coming, but I know the Holy Spirit already told me, trouble's coming for me. Would any of us give up our life right now for Paul's life? I wouldn't want what Paul got called to do, I'll just be honest with you. Because I'd be wanting to fight back. I'd want to preach with one hand and swing with the other, right? But Paul was submissive with humility. He came before the people and preached the word of God. When they persecuted him, what did he do? He blessed them. Now, next week, we'll see a week or two, he gets after the high priest and he apologizes for it, but he calls him a whitewashed tomb. Beautiful on the outside, dead on the inside. He's the same people as a wolf. Church, here's the challenge to us today. It's a big ask from God. Fulfill the duties of your ministry. You say, well, I don't have a ministry. Yes, you do. You all do. If you're a Christian, you have at least one spiritual gift. Hold your finger up like this I know, so I know you're listening to me. You have at least, wag it at me like a preacher. You, you have at least one spiritual gift if you're a Christian, and you have to use that gift in the local congregation. And then when you use it here, it takes off and goes out there. You'll always use your gift at home first and then abroad. Some of you guys call to the mission field. You need to go in and surrender and say, God, I surrender and I want to give my life to full-time missions. Some of you call to ministry. Lord, you've called me to preach. you called me to whatever it might be. You need to surrender. We all have responsibilities to answer to God ourselves. Am I thankful that I'm in the ministry? Yes. Did I want to be a pastor growing up? No, 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 no. I did not. I wanted to be a millionaire by the time I was 35. Right, Wendy? I lied to my wife. That's how I married. she married me. I said, but the riches are in heaven. We're sending on ahead. And would I do anything else what I'm doing right now? No, God's called me to this, and I'm praising. I bless his holy name. I want to challenge you to church. You've got to find out what your calling is. You've got to find out what that gift that you have is, and you have to use it. Every day that you don't use it for the Lord is a day of disobedience. If you think back over the last 365 days, if you haven't done anything for the Lord at the church house or with God's people, specifically where he's planted you, you've sinned for 365 days. No wonder your prayer life's messed up. No wonder your Bible study is no good. No matter what, you can't worship when you, when you come into the sanctuary. You can't praise him. You have nothing to say to him because you know you're guilty because you haven't served him. Find your way to serve him. It could be ushering, washing dishes. I don't know what it is. There's something you can do that only you can do and give him glory. That's what he saved us for. Let's pray together. Father God, you know exactly what you've called us to do. And Lord, you've even said in your word, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and even Ephesians, Paul writes out there's gifts of apostles and prophets and teachers, teachers and administrators, and those who have the gift of giving, and those who have the gift of serving. Father, the, if we would just simply look, you want us to know. You don't want us to be blinded by church work, and that's not what we were talking about, just more and more stuff to do. This is not a guilt lesson today, Lord, to get more people to serve raking leaves in the nursery, whatever it might be. Lord, this is a release of freedom that we have in you, knowing that you're in charge of all things. And Lord, when we do it your way, we get your result. We want joy and happiness and hope. Father, so many people today are suffering from lack of hope, lack of happiness, lack of joy. They're embittered. They can't wait for the next drink of alcohol or the next use of drugs or some other substance to get by. 
And Lord, you didn't create us just to get by day by day. You created us to live the abundant life in Jesus Christ our Lord. What does that look like? Not necessarily great riches for everyone, Lord. The ones with the gift of giving, you've blessed them to give. Those with the gift of service, you've blessed them to serve. Those with hospitality, Lord, you give them the ability to actually love on people, to welcome them, to encourage. Lord, wherever we find ourselves, help us to identify that through your word and be all that you called us to be. It sounds impossible. It is impossible without you. That's why we need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.